Hello, welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of football and those who enforce them. I'm Mike McCarthy, very much the young Padwan in the show when compared to the man alongside me, Jedi Master, former FIFA referee and former head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How are you doing? Good morning, Mike. Delighted to be on the show again. Now, on the show this week, how long can you play advantage? We've got three handballs from the opening weekend of the EFL season that perhaps could have gone differently. And did we see proof this weekend that you don't have to go down to win a penalty? More on that to come. But first, Keith, can we discuss um, pre-match rituals of one sort and another? Uh, another Keith, in fact, involved in this one, Keith Stroud, uh, known for kissing the ball pre-match. Indeed, some people, um, I think, lost their minds a little bit last season when he kissed the ball as he picked it up ahead of the first game of last season between Watford and Middlesbrough, uh, breaking COVID protocols, perhaps, uh, the end of the world, Certainly not. At this time, he was officiating Fulham's opener against Middlesbrough and the cameras showed him blowing a kiss towards the ball. Uh, got me wondering, Keith, did you have any pre-match superstitions or, or rituals? Yes, I did. Uh, I think, uh, believe it or not, uh, in that period, an hour before kickoff, I would take the referees, the assistant referees, onto the pitch, talk about pre-match instructions in some detail even though I'd been through them before with the same officials at times. Uh, I used that as part of the ritual, if you like, of building up towards the game. And then uh, 10 minutes before the game, I'd, I'd do the pre-match again. And then believe it or not, I'd go and have a quick shave. Uh, it was a ritual. I don't, I don't, don't ask me why. I can tell you, <laughs> I was doing a game at Oldham and uh, I was just sort of wiping the, the razor blade down my face when someone came into the dressing room, a bit of a surprise. And I've turned and finished up uh, during the course of the match thinking, I wonder where this blood's coming from. And uh, <laughs> it was a cut that I got from the shave. So I was a bit less, less uh, reluctant to do it. But yeah. I think we all go through rituals, yes. You never raise a sponsorship at the time or anything like that then, no? Uh, no sponsorship whatsoever, no. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Uh, yeah. what, what do you make of kissing the ball or, or anything like that? I mean, is there? Uh, uh, do all referees have something like that? Well, I used to watch... I think many referees have, have sort of uh, methods. I mean, some will, will take the kit out uh, and lay it on the bench in a specific order. They will have packed it on a Friday night in a specific order. I think a simple ritual, that again, something that was practiced, I would have my red card in my top pocket, uh, my yellow card in my right-hand pocket, knowing that I might want to bring the yellow card out quickly and then hold it around the knee, knee area to indicate the players who might think it's a red card, I'm already pointing to the yellow as a reduction. Having the red in my top pocket delayed the process and give me more thinking time. I might, I might change my mind from giving a red back to a yellow in that situation. How important is that thinking time? Just you know, just to have, just to have, just to change a pocket, just to make sure that that you know that you have that extra second or two to to really process what's happened. When we talk about quality midfielders, Mike, in the game, uh, they've all got a lot of time. You know, and this this applies to forwards as well. They've, they've got that time in split seconds to make a move, change the body shape and have a shot on goal and, and all that process. And what refereeing is that when you look at quality referees, they develop time. 
they're not rushed. They think through the process, yet it's milliseconds because they've, they're blowing the kick. But if you're, I think, sending a player off, which is something that as a referee I would always want to avoid, because in a way it's a failure. In, in many instances, that's how I saw it. Other referees might see it differently. Other referees might see it as a show of strength. I never saw that. I, I always said, look, 22 players on the pitch, 22 off. And the thinking time is a, is a quick check and balance against what I saw, a replay in my own mind. It's that thinking process, you know. I've seen it. I've recognised it. Now I just want to think about it a little bit and then make the decision. And I think it might only be a half a dozen times, but it's sometimes in the game, Mike, you get wrapped up in the game and the, the, the crowd, the speed at which the game's playing, the enthusiasm, you know, I can't tell you the passion that I, I love that. I love that in the big game scenarios. And that you can get drawn in, you know, you can, you can see things that might look aggressive that are not. And it, it, it's a really important aspect of refereeing to develop a little bit of thinking time. I'm interested in you talking about issuing a red card as, as a failure, because ultimately, as a, as a fan watching on, there are the laws of the game that you have to enforce. And if a player commits a, a red card offence, you've really got no option to do that. But are you talking more about letting matters through the game escalate to a point where a player almost feels the need to take that action is that what you consider the failure yeah I think that um, when I talk to referees and coach referees I, I talk about the step process in referee and and that is about the quiet word you know sometimes no threat you know that might be actually a word of congratulations in the right way wow no wonder you're a top-class player. What a play that was. What a pass. that! I can remember saying that to Glenn Oddle. They were playing Norwich City, and he spun on a sixpence, which wasn't his usual style, and thumped out a 45-yard cross, a little bit like De Bruyne does regularly, and it went straight to the forward. I mean, I'm now yards behind play. I've got to catch up. It was such a wonderful pass, and I've gone, wow, I don't know how you guys do that. So that's part of, if you like, the communication element, the personality, earning and gaining respect. But so the first process is often you might run alongside a player and say, I'm seeing too much of you. Just calm down a bit. Uh, don't overreact to that player. I've got an eye on him. And, you know, I know what he's doing. Or even running towards a dropping zone where the ball's coming down between two players and just saying, I'm here, guys. And that might just stop an offence and adds to the value of the game. So that quiet word. And then, of course, the public review, that might be, I'm calling the player across. Uh, I've got the captain with me. Uh, it, I've slowed the process down so that the player can gather his own thoughts and lose some of his aggression, if that is the case. And then I might surprise them by just saying, I wanted improvement. There's no threat that I'm going to, next time I'm going to give a yellow card. I never said that to a player. It was always, I want an improvement. Then, of course, the next stage is a yellow card and a red. And you're quite right. In certain instances, 
with a red card, you, you've got to apply the law. I'm not suggesting that you're ducking the law. What I am suggesting is if you're doing the ultimate uh, action of sending a player off, you've got to be right. You can't guess. And sometimes, Mike, in the heat of the moment, a player might say something. And it takes two to make an argument. And I, I, again, it's no reduction of authority. Sometimes, rather than standing there and invoking uh, an escalation of dissent and foul language or whatever, the referee's got the ability to move away and get out of the scene and, and allow the player that those moments of frustration that sometimes come into the game. And I think the skill of a referee communicating with the player, how he communicates, then also recognising the players that you can't talk to, the players who, are, who just want to get on with the game and don't want, you know, this is, there's a balance, isn't there? There's a balance when we watch the game, when you see a referee talking yet again, and you're saying, come on, referee, get on with the game. You're chatting too much. So it is about recognising how you as a referee are coming across uh, on the stage, because that's where you're at. You're on it. The referee's on the stage. And you've got to communicate well uh, through, through your body language, through your interaction with players. But I believe very strongly that step process is get in before it escalates. All too often, we see at the top level, referees allowing a lot, and then cards come out like confetti. Whereas ideally, a word before, I want an improvement, the winning of respect might just prevent the problem. And I, and I do feel that there are times when referees are giving yellow cards, when they, they could in fact manage. And then they're putting the player in a difficult position and you may finish up with a second yellow, which ultimately is a red. And I think, again, two yellows, which are often technical offences, don't help the game. I use this phraseology very carefully, but I would suggest to referees that once you've cautioned the player, it's very easy to give a second red. For a technical offence, you know, he's not 10 yards away. So he gets a caution. For, and I just I just absolutely go mad about that. Because I'm saying, referee, you have not done your job. You should be authoritatively be able to say, that's 10 yards. At the top level, you can use the spray paint. Make the point. But when players are sent off for technical offences, second yellows, uh, I get very unhappy with that. Now, last week, Keith, we had you settle a, a hypothetical dispute about a striker removing his shirt, then revealing an identical shirt underneath. Uh, download last week's show if you want to get Keith's answer to that one. This week, uh, got a new one for you, Keith. It is late in the first half, and the home team are questioning why you've done nothing about a visiting striker. The home team claim the striker is using their plaited hair as a weapon, and there's twice caught defenders in the eye at set pieces. Now, the striker claims both incidents have been accidental. So what do you do? Now, if you want to settle that one, or you want to set a hypothetical scenario for Keith, perhaps you want to settle a, a debate 
from a game you've seen or indeed you've played in. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is the email address. We'll get Keith's answer to that particular conundrum at the end of the show. Right then, Keith, let's get into the Community Shield. Uh, a match mm. decided by a late penalty. There can't be that many people who dispute uh, Kalechi Iheanacho was fouled by Nathan Ake. But what did you make of Paul Tierney's decision to let play run just after the foul, allow a shot from Pats and Dacca of Leicester, and then when the shot was saved, award the spot kit after that? I think that he showed great experience uh, in this decision. The last thing he wanted would be a penalty kick and the ball's in the back of the net. And the law allows him, the law allows him to hold off three, three or more seconds and then award the penalty kick. So for me, I thought it was an outstanding piece of referee. He got it absolutely spot on. doesn't matter about the outcome. Why do you think Manchester City were so aggrieved then? The players in particular seem extremely upset. Do they have any uh, arguments in law about no. that particular award? No, they have not. It's the frustration that you get from players. Either their lack of knowledge, which is surprising at the very highest level, or the fact that just the frustration that a game that they were hoping to win or at least draw at that particular point, uh, they've lost. And, um, I, I, you know, I think the match officials had a terrific start to the season. I think that Paul didn't jump in. I think he's a quality referee. I, I, is small in stature, relatively, doesn't appear to have the authority, but in the main, earns respect. And I think he's a very excellent communicator on the field of play. So he's, for me, a very solid select group one referee who, who richly deserved this appointment. Now, from that sort of situation, or indeed a similar one, how long can the advantage be played for by referee? I guess it's a little bit of... Well, I'm using a word that isn't in the law, but common sense. Um, yeah. But, you know, if it rebounded to another Leicester player and then they had a shot and, you know, it rebounded several times, at what point do you say, right, I'm just going to have to give a decision here? I think you've got to be within these three or four seconds, in, in all honesty. Uh, and at the same time, um, you know, in, in other areas of the field of play, when you apply an advantage... You've got to question whether you're putting your control at risk. I'm, I'm a lover of referees who apply advantage. You know, I, I, rather than stop, 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 stop and come in. Just allow the game to flow because that's what spectators' expectations are. They haven't come to watch you as a referee. They've come to watch a game of football, which is ideally what we want. The referee should only come in when he really feels either the law is broken or at the point that there's likely to be an escalation. Whilst we're on the subject of Leicester, uh, red cards in pre-season, pretty rare. But should there have been one last week, uh, defender Wesley Fofana is going to be out until 2022 after breaking his leg in a pre-season friendly against Villarreal. Uh, you've had a look at the challenge and there was a challenge just before made by Fafana himself. What did you make of that entire situation? Well, referees are told very clearly there are no friendly matches, that you are expected to apply the laws of the game. And they're under a little bit of threat because uh, it's very clear that if they are seen not to apply the laws and to be too generous or do something out of kilter, they are at risk of being suspended. 
And I think that has already happened, certainly in my time. So, you know, the referee's got no friendly games. There are no friendly games. You've just got to go in and referee the match. That's what you're getting paid for. So for me, this was a red card challenge. Well, I should have gone. You can't manage those situations. So for me, I think it was a disappointment. Uh, I waited to see if there was going to be any action on the referee. I've not seen any. But you cannot, you know, I mean, look, I talk from experience here. I can remember doing the centenary game between Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. And look, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan. I'm that side of the city. I came now at, at this age to always enjoy going to Bramall Lane. I, I've got to say that. So I'm really a fan of Sheffield football and the history and all that comes with it. But in this particular game, Colton Palmer decided, now I don't know whether it was a pre-nightclub thing or something I can't know. <laughs> but uh, he absolutely shocked me. Uh, caught me completely by surprise by putting in an horrendous challenge on a Sheffield United player. And I stood there slightly bemused. And eventually, we had an arrangement with uh, Ron Atkinson and, uh, and ba Harry Bassett that if there were any, I'd look towards the sideline. We could do this, by the way, in, in the time I was referee. Yeah. Look to the sideline, and they would take the players off. Uh, I looked at the sideline, nothing happened. And uh, I think it was Laurie Madden, who's captain of Sheffield West, he said, Keith, you've got to do something. Now, I don't know how long I stood there in amazement, but, yeah, Colin Palmer was sent off. So whatever, they, whatever you and wherever you referee, you have to apply the laws, despite the fact that I'm talking about the management process, trying to avoid red cards. It's all about preventative refereeing. It's about managing a game, managing an event. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, you're the policeman on the beat. And at 31 miles an hour, you might suggest to you that you need to take a bit more care when you're driving. At 32, 33, he's got the option, hasn't he? And the option is he applies the law and you get done for speeding. And, and, and that's a little bit like referee. I just wonder as well, given the first challenge that was put in by Fafana in that situation, whether if a free kick had been awarded there, the player doesn't feel the need for retaliation. We go back to that discussion about escalating situations within a game. Essentially, if, if the referee makes a decision earlier, Wesley Fafana doesn't have a broken leg. Correct. And, and Mike, it, it's such an important part. Now, we don't have a glass ball, but we know that players will retaliate. We know that players will be annoyed at times. And that's part of the refereeing process, to make judgments as to when you come in and when you slow it down. I mean, I say to referee, young, again, referees that are developing, when the game looks as though it's going out of control. And no referee will admit that. But if it is suddenly becoming a bit tetchy, that's when you do come in. And you start to find fouls, being realistic. That's a foul, that's a foul, that's a foul. Just to slow things down. And then also, when you're issuing a yellow card, how often do you see a, a yellow card go up, nothing said to the player, the player's walking away, He's yards away. He accepts 
that he's given a yellow card. But in that area, in that sort of uh, part of the of the process and the game, the players could quickly retaliate, and he could lose control. So on occasions, you're, the referee's got to judge when he needs to speak to the player when he's cautioning, and and that is about the conductor of an orchestra and the beat of the music. And it's no different with the referee. The referee's got a whistle and he can communicate. And if the, if the tempo is going away from him and the game's getting tetchy, that's when it's a foul, it's a foul, it's a foul. Guys, I'm coming in because you've got to recognise I need to bring back control. I need to slow things down so you don't retaliate. And I think often when a referee applies an advantage when there's players on the on the ground, lying on the ground, there's a risk of retaliation and risk of an escalation. And someone's seen a mate getting, if you like, done by a bad challenge, he's going to protect his mate. And the way he does that is he's take all everything out of the opponent that he's got. And that's part of reading the game, part of understanding the game. You know, the laws of the game are important, but what is so important is managing players and recognising the players that you're dealing with. And it becomes easier the more, one, you gain your reputation as a referee. Um, you know, I mean, some managers, even to this day, will, will have a detail of your strengths and weaknesses. You know, I, I first came across that running the line for Jack Taylor at, at uh, Leeds United. Leeds were playing Arsenal. I was on the line. And uh, he said to me, the thing I've got to do today is surprise Don Reavy. And I looked at him and thought, what are you on about? And he said, Don Reavy knows me inside out. He's got a dossier of what, what I'm strong at and what I'm not strong at. And later, I learned that that was the case. People within... The staff at, at Leeds United talked about it. Uh, Paul Trevelyan, who helped Leeds with the, with the stocking tanks going back years ago, it was his suggestion. And uh, Paul told me exactly the same, how detailed that, that programme is. Seen Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us are working more from home, so whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue-finding service for in-person events to ensure you get the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress out of your next event. Now, the opening weekend of the EFL has been and gone, and 
well, we're going to have to talk about handball, Keith, because uh, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so there are probably multiple examples we can look at. We've got three from a couple of games in the championship. Uh, Sheffield United against Birmingham City and Luton uh, against Peterborough. First one then to, to have a look at. Uh, a f- shot from the outside of the area from John Fleck. Blocked by the arm of Gary Gardner. Uh, this is a ball that's coming at uh, quite a velocity. And Gardner turning away from the ball. I mean, what did you make of this particular decision? I think we have to recognise uh, the change in emphasis coming from the PGMOL uh, and, and the specific, if you like, law change around handball. It talks about what is a deliberate handball. So it's actually now looking at was the hand used in a deliberate manner? And so the refs will look at that. They will look at, is it deliberate uh, action by the player? And in that situation, the referee's got to look at whether the arm is extended away from the body. It is then deemed in an unnatural position. If the ball strikes an extended arm, then this is where the referee on the day has to interpret if that arm extension is either blocking a shot or preventing a, uh, an action of play. So in this situation, it's also got to measure the proximity of shot. And you mentioned the speed at which that shot came in. So let's look at the United. It came in at pace. The player turned. It wasn't an extended arm. It did strike the arm, make no question. And so for me, the referee got it spot on. He was in a good position, Tim Robinson, to see that and to act accordingly. Um, and I think that, in a way, that starts to set the principles of what hopefully we're going to see this year. It's interesting, isn't it? There's going to be a, a new dynamic, particularly when it comes to punditry as well, because watching the highlight show on, on Quest, immediately the two ex-pros were going, yeah, well, that's a pen, because that's what we've seen given over the last couple of seasons. And it's not going to be this way this year. No. Uh, do you know, uh, the criteria is clear. Is it deliberate? Was the hand and arm extended to make the body bigger and the proximity of, of the ball at, at the player as he got his chance to withdraw? Now, I think that is a greater degree of clarity to the game. And yeah, uh, look, often I smile at pundits uh, because uh, we, we're all, and I'm one, I suppose, we, we sit in a world where we don't advance the laws or discuss them or put them into practice. And I think it's so important that this is what happens at professional level and at amateur level. And of course, the other one is that if it's an accidental handball by a forward who scores, that is definitely now ruled out. But if it's an accidental handball by a a colleague who then passes the ball, that's part of the game. That's allowed. And the defender, if he accidentally handles the ball, is not penalised. And so I think there's no doubts last year. I was almost hitting my head on the table because we were seeing handballs given that were not in line with law. We were seeing penalty kicks given that were not penalty kicks. And so the other side is that on the penalty kick decisions, at long last, we've got the PGMOL to admit that there were errors. They should have been admitting those at the time, in my opinion. Uh, 
not to undermine the referee, but to get some clarity within the audience, the stakeholders within the game. So for me, uh, I think we will see less penalty kicks given uh, because I think that we were seeing too many last year that were soft. And, and I think we were talking about contact, uh, contact you know, that was manufactured and referees getting caught out and thinking the right thing is let's give a penalty kick or let's use the insurance cover VAR. But, you know, the VARs are actually referees when they're not VARs. So their interpretation was the same. So that the group of them were just like making a mess of it in truth. Let's move to Kenilworth Road then. Luton against Peterborough, newly promoted, 1-0 down Peterborough and feeling they should have had a penalty themselves. A cross coming in to the penalty area. Cal Naismith, with an arm outstretched, looks like other players are going to head the ball or deal with it before it gets to him and it sort of drops on his arm in an unnatural position. Peterborough obviously claiming they should have a penalty in that situation. Have they got a case? Well, this is down to the judgment of the referee. It's this word, deliberate. And, and as you've described it, and as we saw it, it's not deliberate. The player is in gain. This is where we have, as referees, we have to rely on referees to be trained and coached and review their decisions so that we get out of the professional referees uniformity of interpretation. I don't think that's deliberate. And, and I think that... You will no doubt get differences of opinion and you will no doubt get one referee doing it differently to the other. And this is where coaching and education of referees to give a uniform approach. Let me tell you that Mike Riley and his team will have met all managers, all managers of, of football league clubs and Premier League clubs by now because that was in certainly in process when I was there. And we would discuss these things. We would discuss how we're going to interpret it. And we do that with a series of video clips to say, look, this is how we're going to interpret it. So the word for me is deliberate. And a dropping ball from the sky that, that hits a player is hardly deliberate. The third one then, Peterborough's Mark Beavers. He's deemed to have handled the ball about 30 yards from goal as it's been played beyond him. Uh, Luton's Elijah Adebayo set to go clean through on goal, covering defenders probably not in a position to recover. The decision is given as a yellow card. I don't think uh, Luton or Peterborough are particularly happy with the outcome there. Uh, it did lead to uh, Darren Ferguson being booked by the referee a little bit later as well for his protest at the decision. Uh, in that sort of scenario, we're talking about not just handball, but denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. So what has to come into play there? Well, the referee uh, has to judge, first of all, is it deliberate handball? He's judged it's a handball. Then in the process, what he has to do is to ask himself, uh, is it deliberate? Uh, and then the position. So we're looking at the criteria for denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, distance from goal, the probability of that forward having possession, gaining possession or controlling the ball, and the position of the defenders that you've mentioned. And I think that what has confused certain managers, not every manager, is that if we look at the 
double jeopardy aspect of it, everything applicable to denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity changes inside the penalty area if the player who is challenging for the ball has made an active play for the ball. So in this case, he's outside the penalty area, referee's given the foul, distance from goal, as you describe, is, is, not, is, not, uh, is not huge. It's heading towards goal, probability is going to get the ball. So in that sense, it should have been a red card. That would have really upset uh, Darren Ferguson. So I think he's fortunate that, that uh, Beavers is fortunate to get a yellow. It, it, it should have been a red. And the referees made an error. Now, to help, when I'm coaching referees, which is the important bit for me, I say to the referee, take away the defender in the thought process. So Mark Beavers now is not in the equation. He's committed the foul. He's not in the equation. What would have happened? Would that forward definitely have had the opportunity to have a shot on goal? And in this case, the answer is yes. So in that case, Beavers is off. And that's, that's how the process is. You've got, just got to change that when you get inside the penalty area. When you actually say, right, okay, did that uh, goalkeeper or did that defender make a genuine attempt to play the ball? And often that's not the case. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll have uh, plenty of people agreeing and disagreeing with these interpretations, Keith, as we go through the season. But uh, there's Keith verdict for you. Uh, To League One we go then. And there were some really sad reports this weekend of uh, Lincoln City defender uh, Cohen Brammel allegedly suffering racist abuse from a fan in their League One draw at Gillingham. Uh, There was an incident after Teo Eden's fourth minute opener. Lincoln players celebrated in the corner of the pitch, just off the pitch in fact, and, and then went beyond the advertising hoardings. And that's where a confrontation happened. There has been an arrest, so for legal reasons we can't say much of anything about that incident itself other than to say, of course, that racism has no place in football or indeed anywhere else in society. Uh, But Keith, one aspect of this we can discuss is the responsibilities of the referee to help make sure that players and fans are safe. So what steps can you take as an official to make sure players and fans don't even have an opportunity to, to clash in this way? I think, first of all, we, the club itself, both clubs uh, and clubs generally across the competitions have to realise that why was the law brought in in terms of celebration of a goal? It was brought in initially to avoid surge of crowds, players going to the fence in, in Europe and in and other countries around the world, and then you had a crowd surge. And in fact, in certain games, there was one specific in uh, Africa where people were killed because of that surge. Now, the player didn't know that, but the authorities said, OK, what can we do to avoid that potential risk? So the, my first thing is, if players want to celebrate a goal, please stay on the field of play or the surroundings. Don't go over any signage. And if there are fences, which there are some in some grounds in Europe, don't climb the fences because as a referee, you're then going to caution that player. So the referee is now informed that there has been a racial comment, which none of us want to happen. So the responsibility here for the referee is to 
stop the game, go and consult with the ground commander near the technical area. And the police officer, if there's one down, there's certainly a head of stewards, and increase the number of stewarding in that area and ask for stadium announcements to be made. And, and then, of course, the important thing is to say to the player and the captains, call them together and say, look, I've taken action. This is as far as I can go at this moment. However, the whole matter will be re reported to the authorities. It is evident in this case that the referee went through the right processes. And then that allows the police, remembering that, you know, since my days, I can remember the 60s and 70s, you know, and, you know, spectators coming onto the field of play and all that went on. And I refereed a game one week, Greece, in a, in a World Cup preliminary in the stadium in Belgium, where the following week I was watching the, the nightmare of uh, spectators being killed. So I think that I've got a deep understanding of why these things are brought in, is to avoid the, the potential problems. Police have great surveillance cameras now. Spectators have to understand the degree of responsibility. There's a point at which enthusiasm and supporting your club goes over the top. And this whole question of abuse and racial abuse is unacceptable. We've got to recognise that everybody has the right to play football and really has the right to celebrate scoring a goal. And I think when people go over the top and do things that are unnecessary and against the law, then the police have to take action. The referee's got a very clear code of conduct and knowledge of what he can do. And within that remit, I believe this referee did what he could do. Now on this podcast, part of the promise of seeing them given is to hand out praise uh, to referees who do a good job. Uh, Keith, we mentioned him at the top of the show. Tell me about what you made of Keith Stroud's performance uh, in Fulham's game against Middlesbrough this weekend. Keith is a very experienced referee. Uh, he, he was for a time a Premier League referee, but it was probably just a step too far. He, he, never, he never got comfortable. He never hit that top, top level. But he's been close, even though I, I was privy to his emotion down into the championship. So here's a guy who's continued his career, which is great for him. Uh, and I understand he was interviewed for potential promotion to the Premier League. So we've watched the Euros. We've all sort of heard the noises about, let's allow the game to flow. Let's not come in quickly, whatever we do. And Keith Stroud steps onto the football field. And when, within... 30 to 40 seconds, he's faced with a challenge by a Fulham player on a Middlesbrough player, shoulder charge and a little bit sort of meaty. And he instantly and correctly brought out the yellow card. And that's the whole aspect, you know. In the Euros, we saw some fabulous referee, but they weren't half helped by the players. The players played within the laws of the game. Generally, they kept on the feet on the majority of occasions. We didn't see the flashes of temper 
and uh, mass confrontations. We didn't see players surrounding the referee disputing the decisions. Well, one game into the season, I'm already seeing too much of that. So for me, I think that my plea is let referees do the job. Referees do your job. And by that, I mean, this is about work rate. This is about effort. This is about proximity to play. This is about accuracy of decision making. It's about managing players. It's about earning respect. But players, I make a plea with you. Don't cheat. Players rolling in agony. Fans laughing at you. Players suggesting that they've been struck. Or even that they've been seriously injured. I mean, I watched the game this week and I'm not going to name the player. And I was a bit pretty disgusted because there wasn't a challenge. He rolled in agony. He stayed on the floor. And he then is looking towards the referee is to say, why didn't you either penalise it or why didn't you issue a yellow card? And I'm thinking, that is not within the context of what we want to see as spectators. Now, that might be utopia, but I do think we saw in the Euros players behaving responsibly, behaving in a professional manner, and this is what we want to see in England. We want to see this in the Premier League. We want to see this football league. We want to see this at grassroots level. We've got, at grassroots level, a real problem. There's lots of referees who I know and others know that have not registered. They've not gone through the process. So last season, the games generally were 10% shorter referees. They're likely to be towards 15% or more because referees are saying, I've had enough of this. I mean, I read an email last week, tried to persuade the referee to change his mind. But a fairly experienced referee, refereeing in the local park, gets abused, uh, gets threatened and says, walks off the field. He didn't, the game was finished, uh, but he then said, that's it, my last game. I'm not putting up with this anymore. And so we have a serious issue of what takes place at the professional level can cascade down and make life for grassroots referees very difficult. And therefore, we have a responsibility to try and resolve this issue. Bit more praise to hand out this week, Keith. Uh, did you see Tramere Walsall, an injury to the assistant referee, Richard uh, Bartlett? The call goes out. Is there a qualified referee available? And who else but uh, Tramere fan, Premier League official Mike Dean answers the call. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, Mike's got a fantastic personality. He's, he's often, if you like, upsets people by that personality. But I love it. I love the fact that he's, one, uh, supporting the team that he's supported for a long time. And he, he does it at the call. I wonder if he had his kit in the, in the boot of his car, because we do say to referees, whatever level, Please have your kit in the car. I can remember going to referee QPR Southampton in an FA Cup game. And uh, one, one linesman didn't turn up. So they put the call out in the loudspeakers and asked for a volunteer. And we finished up in my dressing room with two volunteers. One of them, a uh, long-established Southern Premier League referee. The other, a youngster relatively speaking and it was 
pretty obvious who was going to uh, be selected. Laurie McMenemy was the manager of Southampton. He was present. So I picked the guy on experience. And the youngster was given a ticket. Look, for the next match, here's a pair of tickets for you and the family. And I said, I'm really sorry. And he goes, so am I. And he rolled up his sleeve, Mike, and on it was UPR forever. He said, Ref, if there had been any dodgy decisions, they're going QPR's away. He said, I needed to tell you that as, as he left the dressing room. So these things do happen. Yeah. Great, Mike D. I hope he has another excellent season. Right, another bit of praise to hand out as well, Keith, because we're forever asking players not to go down if they don't need to and, and they should get decisions anyway. Uh, and Mansfield, 95th minute uh, of their game at the weekend, a penalty given for holding in the box. Ollie Hawkins tugged uh, by Mark Hughes, didn't go to ground, still got the decision. So I think we should say well played referee Josh Smith, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, the more that that happens, the players will realise that they don't have to go down to buy the penalty kick decision from the referees. So really, young referee giving a, a, a very good decision. Right. Before we go, we've got to settle that dispute from earlier on, which didn't actually happen, but I've just made it up because I was looking at the laws of the game and I can't see anything related to hair, but I'm sure, Keith Hackett, you will know exactly what to do in this situation. It is late in the first half and the home team are questioning why you've done nothing about the visiting striker. Now, the home team claim the striker is using their plaited hair as a weapon and has twice caught defenders in the eye at set pieces. The striker claims both incidents have been accidental. What do you do? Well, I think it's a very good question, uh, and it can happen, uh, so it's not pie in the sky. Uh, and it, it brings up that important subject that a player must not use equipment or wear anything that is dangerous. And so to clarify that, necklaces, rings, bracelets, earrings, leather bands, rubber bands are all banned. They're all banned. And so it doesn't, the law doesn't talk about the hair, but... It, it actually brings the referee in, in relation to using a bit of common sense. So players complained that plat might look dangerous. So I would stop play and I would walk with the player towards the technical area. And I'd say, look, can you put some bandage across this? The plats are causing a bit of a problem and they're a bit of a hazard. And not, I'm not going to make any big deal about it, but... I then would put it in a report to the Football League saying this is an area that's given me a bit of concern. So that you're actually alerting whether they need to have a quiet word with the club, the player, but it, it, it's where you use common sense. Yeah, apparently it's a bit more common in netball. It's known as the hair whip. Well, the other area that comes in uh, is the beads. You see uh, players with plaited hair and beads. And so again... These are the areas that you look at and you think, have the FA or has this been brought up within the laws of the game? So I suspect that people, the IFAB, might just look at this in the future and make a sort of comment within the laws of the game. It's the type of thing they do. 
Well, if you got the answer to that right, congratulations and thanks again for staying with us uh, to the end of the show. If you've got a question for Keith you want an answer to, our email hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk or indeed if you want to propose a scenario just send a message to exactly the same address we'll have new episodes of seen them given ideally every monday when recording allows we'd love as well to hear from you and what you'd like to hear in the podcast if there's a decision you really want us to look at hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can get in touch and if you've enjoyed the show Please give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It'll help other people discover us too. Uh, For now, thanks so much for your company, and we'll see you next time.